and welcome to episode 96 of the Conversations with Ross podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Ryan Sage. Ryan is the director of the award-winning romantic comedy, A Big Love Story. You can find out more information on the film at abiglovestory.com and on Twitter at abiglovestorydv. Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Well, Ryan, let's start at the beginning. Tell me what initially attracted you to filmmaking in the first place. I think it was it's sort of a, a creative uh, outlet. I always, as a kid, loved drawing. And early on, I think that that translated into me wanting to do animation. Um, and then uh, I found that a little bit too time-consuming. <laughs> I wanted more immediate results, and I think I transitioned that into filmmaking. So it's pretty much just something that I've always done and always wanted to do. Um, so yeah, so pretty much from, from the beginning, basically from high school, um, is when I really knew that this is kind of the career avenue I wanted to go. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Oregon in Salem, which is the capital up there. And do you come from a theatrical family or a creative family? Um, no, not, not too much. I mean, my parents were always really great at letting, uh, me and my sister sort of do what we wanted without like much, you know, as far as you might want to consider doing something that's a little more economically feasible or, you know, something you can make a living at. They're, they're always good at letting us sort of do what we want. And so sort of as a result, my sister writes children's books and, and I get to do film stuff. So. so how does a kid who grows up in Oregon end up in Los Angeles making movies? Uh, a slow trip down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> basically, I started. I went to the University of Oregon, uh, pretty much right out of college. And unfortunately, the year that I got there, they had a big uh, tax cut, and they cut the film department at the school there. So I just kind of flailed uh, around there and and uh, pretty much flunked out basically in the first year because I didn't have much direction at all. Um, and I took a couple years off and I, I think I always had this thought that like Hollywood would come to me and like this, some movie would just show up on my doorstep. I don't, I don't know what I was thinking, but, uh, somehow I think around age 20, I, I discovered, you know, if, if I want to do this, maybe I need to put more effort out there. And so I decided I should go to film school and, um, I came down to, uh, San Francisco, where my, my grandparents lived not too far away, and I went to the Academy of Art University, um, and I was there for five years, and that was such a great experience uh, for me, as far as like it was just it was just nonstop filmmaking and and having fun, and every weekend we're out shooting something, and and you know homework was to edit projects. Like I don't think uh, the kids realized how lucky they were to be going to art school compared to my giant you know 400 student lecture hall classes at U of O. Um, to these, you know, 30 student classrooms where your homework is to go and shoot a movie um, rather than read, you know, a huge novel. And did they essentially teach you from, did you go on in there with a knowledge of filmmaking of basically zero and leave there which you feel like comp- capable of making a movie? Yeah, I mean, I had uh, probably a little bit more than zero just because I had make, made, uh, you know, short films here and there, but they definitely, they had a great, structure I thought of where they the first thing they taught you was how to edit and the the thought process being that um, whether you want to be a DP or director or actor or whatever like you want to see what the end result is and what when you're in the editing room what you're looking for and so I found that very helpful um, as, as a great base knowledge and I think we kind of work backwards from that. 
How soon after graduating did you find yourself in Los Angeles? I actually didn't graduate. I went there for five years. So my last year, I decided I made a choice not to graduate and said, take more classes that I thought would help me in the film world. So I did more like demo reel classes. I took classes that I'd already taken and I uh, just retook them so I could get access to equipment. Um, basically put together a reel because I knew, you know, a uh, uh, degree doesn't do much for you in the film world. So I, um, I was sort of flailing for a little bit. Um, when I first got down here, I was here for about six months. And then I saw an ad for a writer-producer job for Kids WB. And I thought, well, I have my, my reel that I made all these spec commercials, and I, I wrote and produced those. So I guess you know, that could qualify me. And they were looking for somebody with five years' experience. And I was like, well, I've been in film school for five years, so <laughs> that has to count for something. So I, I sent in my reel, and I think because it looked so different from everyone else's, everyone else had – you know, TV promos basically <laughs> kind of on their spots. And I had these, you know, kind of wacky spec commercials like me at college. Um, so I, I think I just sort of stood out to them. Um, and, and that was actually a fairly long process to, to get that. It took about six months from me submitting to actually getting that job. Um, I remember the, they, they knew I didn't have, you know, experience. So they said they wanted me to write a sample script and, you know, I wasn't quite sure what they wanted, but but I, I thought I, I'd written something quite genius. And and I remember they, they called me in, which I thought, well, this is good. They're calling me in. The, you know, I have to have the job. And at that time, I was, I was working at day job in, in Santa Monica, and, and they were over in um, uh, Burbank uh, on the WB lot. And so I drove over there and sat down. They said, the first thing, you don't have the job. Um, your writing is really weak. <laughs> I'm just like, well, you made me drive an hour to hear this, um, but but we still really like your reel, and we we want to you know give you another chance. So we're going we're going to set you up with an editor. Uh, so I got uh, put with an editor on a weekend a couple weeks later, and and did some more stuff that again I thought was absolutely genius, and uh, <laughs> and they kind of ho hummed at it. Uh, so it was basically I let a month or so go by, a month or two, and then I, I just didn't serve a follow-up call. And it, it really was just one of those things of being in the right place at the right time uh, when I called. And she's like, oh, you know, thanks for calling. We don't you know, really have anything right now. Like, okay. So I hung up, and literally 10 seconds later, she called back and said, you know, someone just called in sick. Can you come in tonight? And so uh, I was able to go in, and I, I didn't end up leaving for five years. I ask all the actors that come on the podcast about their expectations of themselves and of what their career would be when they first started to break in. And a lot of them admit to having delusions of grandeur, that they would move out to L.A., that they would get a sitcom within six months, they would win an Emmy within two years. Uh, after the syndication run, they would clearly just transition right into film where they would win Oscars. And it's amazing that some people have those dreams because for like four people that happens. And yeah. I'm curious what your expectations were on yourself and on what your career would be when you first moved down. It was pretty similar to that. <laughs> I, thought, <laughs> I thought that I was going to be, you know, a big commercial director that then I could transition that into, um, you know, TV and then maybe transition that into film. And, and really, I think that was sort of my, my big mistake that I wish I had done differently is I, I think out of fear of failing, basically, I didn't want to go after my ultimate goal because, if I fail on that, then, 
you know, <laughs> where do I go from there? That was my dream. So I think I always heard uh, focused on these sideways avenues like, you know, commercial directing or TV. And um, I really should have just, if I, I think I'd be much further along at this point, if I had straight out of the gate gone, I'm going to put all my energy into making a feature film. Um, so, you know, I'd encourage anyone listening to, uh, to go, whatever your ultimate goal is, go straight for that. Don't do what something that you think will lead to your ultimate goal. Really just focus on what that is. Well, it's hard too. I imagine if someone wants to be a director of big tech movies, big explosions and, uh, you know, CGI and everything else, it's really difficult to make that on your own. That's a lot of money to do that. How does one it who is- has that dream go about doing something like that? Well, I think nowadays it's so much easier. I mean, you can do those big movies, and and I think uh, if I if I was to do a big actiony thing, then you know a short would definitely be something that where you can show proof of concept. But but there's definitely like um, you know it's so easy to connect with people now with the internet, whether it's Craigslist or anything else to connect with uh, other talented people who you know generally. Uh, they all want to do good work. So um, you just have to partner up with other people that are like-minded. And, you know, those, those movies, it's so much, you know, it's a disadvantage and it's an advantage. It's a, an advantage that almost anybody can make a movie now with, you know, zero budget. But the disadvantage is now that the market is completely saturated. So it's really hard when it comes to eventually selling your movie and actually making money. That has has gone down. Well, Ryan, let's talk about your movie, A Big Love Story. Tell me about the project and how it all came together. Much like I was explaining there, I, I was sort of doing all this sidestepping um, of <laughs> what my ultimate goal was. And finally, I was like, you know, I need to stop making short films and stop doing little TV projects and stuff. I need to focus and make a feature. Um, but at that time, when I made that decision, I had just gotten married. And that part of that uh, wedding came with a, a two and a half year old boy. And then within six months, we had another boy on the way. So my ability to write, I knew was <laughs> going to be difficult um, with that. And I also have a full-time job where I'm at ABC um, doing TV promos, the same thing when I, that I was doing when I got into the WB. Uh, so, you know, I knew it was going to be difficult and that's, um, but I knew there's tons of talented people in LA. So it was just a matter of reaching them. And I came up with the idea of, of putting an ad on Craigslist that's looking for a script. Um, so I, just, I put it out there and, and I tried to be as honest as possible. I said, you know, I'm looking for a script for a you know super low budget movie. I can pay you $500 up front. Um, you know, if you're doing this for the money, this isn't the right project for you. But if you're, you're doing something that you want to see get made, because I think that is such a, valuable thing um, for a writer because it's so tough to get your stuff read, but it's much more likely somebody will watch your material. So um, I knew that that was probably going to be of interest to people. Um, And so I got, you know, probably about 50 submissions based on that. That's fantastic that this is all through Craigslist, that that screenwriters and, and upcoming screenwriters are in a similar situation of saying, we just want to get something made, and you're a guy that wants to make a movie saying, I just want to make a movie, and it's just posting an ad, and how that all came together, it's great. Exactly, yes, because I think that so many times, you know, there's all these gatekeepers, the, you know, the agents and stuff, then they're so overloaded, um, you know, they just, they can't give attention to everyone uh, that deserves it, and so this is just a way of like, you know, cutting through that. Um, so 
I, yeah, I, Craigslist was great for this whole project. And, and that's why I was encouraging, you know, if you're trying to do some other big effects thing, you know, go on Craigslist and look for somebody that's trying to, you know, build their effects reel or whatever. It's just a great way for, for meeting people. And I've never had a bad experience, you know, with somebody being flaky or anything like that. I mean, it, pretty much you can tell by their, what they submit on how committed they are. But, um, yeah, so I, I, uh, and, and, you know, not all the submissions, there's some people that I got from like, um, one guy was like, you know, $500, try 25,000 more on, you know, that, that they didn't understand <laughs> what, the, you know, what we were trying to do. But, um, uh, I'd like to see that guy's script. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm curious too. I, I actually kind of want to send him a thing to like, Hey, look, here's the, this could have been your movie. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what is it, is it worth, you know, having awards and stuff like that? $25,000 or, you know, or having, uh, you know, I don't know, not selling out for $500 or <laughs> whatever. Cause I think it's, you know, this business, you have to invest. It's definitely like either you have to invest your money or your time. And that's to be successful is those two things. So. so you initially, you once you found the screenwriter, you found the scripts you liked, how long before selecting the script did you start production? Probably about six months or so. I mean, I'd already kind of like ramped up and was ready to make it. I had kind of money in place that was um, basically just me and my wife putting our money together. Um, and so, you know, that's always the hardest obstacle is having money. So once that's taken care of, everything's pretty much a lot easier. Although we were doing, you know, the the budget was, well, it started off when I first pitched it to her, like $15,000. And then, you know, as I went a few months and was doing some more numbers, like, you know, 25000 is probably more likely. And then by the end, it was about 50000 So. It's like what happens with a wedding. Everybody that gets married is like, yeah, we're totally going to have a $5,000 wedding. It's going to be low-key. <laughs> exactly. Then after a month, it becomes 10000 It becomes 20000 almost immediately. Exactly like that. And we'd gotten married not too long ago, so I could <laughs> point back to that. <laughs> and the whole film was self-financed by you and your wife? Yes. Yes, which was nice because, it, you know, no one to have to, you know, answer to. How long did it take to shoot? Uh, we ended up shooting on, because I needed to keep my day job to help pay for everything, we ended up just shooting on weekends, and it was over probably a six-month period. And this was a really great way for me especially because this was my first feature. I'd done a lot of shorts and other projects, but um, it allowed me to shoot on you know Saturday and Sunday, and then I'd edit basically Monday through Wednesday night, and I'd sort of see where we were and and what things were working, what things weren't, and then would rewrite, um, both me and the writer um, would rewrite sort of Wednesday, Thursday, and then have new material that we're shooting on, you know, Saturday, Sunday, on Friday. So um, it was it was very helpful. Like if I had just shot the script straight out, um, it definitely would not have turned out as well as it had if I had just gone, you know, took a two-week block and, and shot it all in two weeks. So I'm very thankful for the way that, um, it sort of worked out. The male lead essentially calls for an obese actor. Tell me about the casting process and trying to find him. Well, the interesting thing is, <laughs> it, it, it might be obvious to you because you're asking that question, but it never crossed my mind that it would be difficult to find somebody like that. Um, and, you know, an example of that is the uh, Cassie, the, the female lead. Uh, we saw about 90 actresses. You know, I don't know how many submissions we had, probably 3,000 or so. Uh, we saw 
probably like 90 people for her part. And for Sam, the lead guy, we saw five people. And um, there was probably only about 20 or 30 submissions. Um, so I was a little, little surprised at that, but we really lucked out on, on who we got. You know, it doesn't matter how many people audition, as long as you get the right person to audition. And um, Robbie Keller, who plays Lee, I think just has such a, a warm and a likable uh, demeanor. Like it's, he's just so instantly lovable uh, that, you know, he, he just, he really makes the movie. So I, we lucked out there for sure. Tell me about the premise of the movie. Uh, so basically it's about a, a guy who blows out his knee. It's, it's interesting. I was listening to your podcast last week about um, United States of football and that idea of um, college to me, like uh, you guys are talking more about the pro athletes, you know, and head injuries. Uh, but I always think about the college athlete and these people that put their entire lives into college sports and, um, and then what happens for the, you know, 98% that don't actually make the NFL, but had always put their whole life and dreams into making that. So, uh, our lead guy is basically, he was an NFL prospect who blew out his knee and his opportunities to go to the NFL, um, diminished and, uh, disappeared. Um, and at the same time, his, his mother had passed away. So he was, he was sort of in a life slump and he, you know, the story picks up seven years after that and he's put on about 200 pounds and he weighs 415 pounds and he just realizes he has to make a change. So he goes to a, a personal trainer to help him out and uh, ends up falling for her. Um, and so, and sort of as it goes along, it's not really a weight loss movie. For me, it's more about, and what attracted me to it was, it's about the obstacles that we put in front of ourselves that are sort of imaginary in a lot of ways. You know, I think, I know I've done this where, you know, I think, oh, if I was just, you know, skinnier, or if I just had brown hair, then I could find a girlfriend. Or, you know, if I was just a little bit more of this, I could get a job. You know, we put all these sort of imaginary blocks in our lives and I think we, you know, it's just breaking through those. Like I had many of those uh, with filmmaking, you know, like, oh, if I just, you know, could do a commercial first, then I could do a feature. It's, you know, you just got to break through those things. And so that's what really attracted me to this story is it's sort of about the, the deeper breakthroughs that, um, and about the obstacles that are all pretty much self-imposed, I feel. I'm always curious with directors, if there was something you would do differently after seeing the final product, the movie's made, it's coming out on DVD. Is there anything that would you would change in hindsight? Yes, of course. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm like George Lucas. I want to. Uh, <laughs> he wants to redo wanna, Star Wars. I add in some CG characters into the background. <laughs> um, no, there. You know, there's there's some things that I I definitely change. You know, just because of the the budget and stuff, you get locked into certain locations. I just wish I would have, you know, found a different place or something, you know, it's all aesthetic kind of things that like, oh, I don't like that wall. I wish it was this wall. So, you know, it's like pretty, you know, minor stuff, but it's it's stuff that annoys me every time I watch it. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's all a learning lesson, uh, you know, making films, you, you learn uh, every time you do something. So I'm happy that it, the way it turned out and I'm happy the lessons I learned on it. I know for a lot of young filmmakers, people trying to make their first movie, they're worried about locations. Part of the movie, there's actually several scenes that you have shot in a bowling alley. How did you go about acquiring that location? 
basically just went around looking at bowling alleys and then uh and then came into one and asked uh, you know if we could shoot there and um it was one of the greatest locations i've had the the privilege of shooting at because they were so friendly and um so i think it was only it was like 600 or 700 dollars a day um and we pretty much had our full run of the place and they had like a bar and a restaurant in the back which actually doubled as a the bar in the movie too um and then when we're outside of the gym that's actually outside of the bowling alley so it it doubled for three or four locations um and it was in such a big space so it's you know very production friendly and the other nice thing that i discovered is um the we put notices there for extras um and we got a lot of their league bowlers to come in and so we got some very <laughs> i think are realistic looking bowling extras so that was a a nice little bonus tell me about taking the film to the festival circuit going around to the different festivals and the reaction you received there that was a lot of fun uh we had a great time on the it, it was kind of interesting cuz you sort of become a family when you're making the movie and then I go off and I sit in a room by myself in a dark little room and, and make the movie and then you you come back with the family again and then you tour around and the whole cast and, and crew was, was great at like coming out and supporting so we really kind of all made the rounds together and it, we, we premiered at CineQuest which is in San Jose and um, the producer Christine Denton she's from San Jose and you know my grandparents were up in the Bay Area and I still have a lot of friends in the Bay Area. So it was definitely like a great place to premiere because we had a ton of people. Um, and that that festival was really amazing. They took good care of us. We had four screens there. We made it to like Encore Day um, from popularity. So it was, that was a blast. Pretty much every festival we went to, we had a really good experience with. And this was your first time going through the festival circuit? I'd gone with uh, short films before, and you know it's definitely when you're a short film, you're a stepchild. <laughs> you know you yeah. don't get the 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 same attention. Um, so yeah, it's it's a little bit different. You know they don't pay for travel or anything like that, and you know some festivals still will will do that. Um, although more and more cutting back, I think. Um, but definitely you're not getting that if you have a short. So um, and and you're generally not like walking red carpets or doing those things. And that, that stuff is fun too, especially for the actors. Cause I think, you know, that's part of the dream of being an actor is like being able to like walk a red carpet and having your pictures taken. So it's kind of fun to give that to those people that worked so hard on the film. You've mentioned balancing shooting and the cost of shooting with your day job. You have a day job working for ABC. And I think that's something that a lot of people worry about. How do you how do you transition out of a day job or how do you keep your day job and still pursue making movies? And I think it's more difficult the older you get because when you're 20, you don't have a mortgage. You don't have kids. You're not married. Uh, chances are you're not coming off of a job that's paying you a lot of money. I think it's very difficult the, the older you are to sort of break in. How do you recommend to people who aren't 21 years old that they they do have a day job and they need to keep it for financial reasons, obviously. How do they get into the industry? How do they make movies while keeping their day job? I, I think it's making choices. You know, I made choices not to go out and not to hang out. You know, I, I cut down my social life a lot. Like, you, you just basically have to make some choices on where you're, you know, my wife was very understanding and, and let me watch, she watched the kids while I would shoot on the weekends. You, you know, that's a, 
a discussion you have to have with your significant other if you're in that type of, you know, if you're in a relationship. Um, it's just, it's just making choices. I mean, like you, there's, there's, uh, you know, people that get up two hours early to go to the gym and work out for an hour. Um, you know, it's just where you want to spend your time. It's all very doable. You just have to make the choice that you want to do it. And I think to some degree that kind of weeds people out. <laughs> you know, if you if you have that passion, you will find a, a way of doing it. Were you able to make any money off this film? Uh, we haven't made money yet, but uh, there's definitely hope that that will happen um, because basically what happens when you get distribution, especially for smaller films now, you get a uh, an amount up front, which definitely generally doesn't cover the cost of the movie, but then... Um, you know, I've seen models where definitely we should be able to make our money back through international sales and stuff. It's it's interesting how like even a little romantic comedy like this still makes the majority of its money on international. Did you get distribution at one of the festivals? Did you get a buyer there? I did not. We actually ended up going with um, what's called a producer's rep. Um, there's like a film agent and producer's rep. Producer's rep, you pay upfront a fee, um, whereas like a, a film agent will take a percentage um, after in the film, the producer rep still takes a percentage, but it's a smaller percentage. And then what the producer's rep does is basically um, they'll send it to sort of, they start at the top, they break it down into tiers and they sell, or they'll send it to, you know, all the top tier companies, Miramax and so forth. All the, the big people are most likely to pass on the small thing. Um, but just in case, you never know. And then they move down to the tier two group and then the tier three and as far as they need to go. Um, and then hopefully like, you know, a couple of people in that tier group will be interested and you can have sort of a little bidding war. Um, there is only, I think there's basically two people that were interested. Um, and one was so far off, so it wasn't, didn't really end up in a bidding war, but you know, we were able to work out a little more than what they were first offering. Um, but, and then the other difference, so like a, a film agent, generally they have people that they've sold to and they go straight to those people first. So that's sort of another difference between a, a film agent and a, a producer's rep where a producer's rep will send it basically to everybody starting at the top. Um, so, you know, it's definitely an interesting experience where you're just sort of sitting there and waiting to see how people respond. And, and again, it's, it's so hard just because the, the market is so saturated um, you know, you go to IMDb and you look at how many movies are in production right now, and it's like uh, 10,000 or something like that. And it's like, how's that even possible? When you initially decided to pursue a career in show business, what are the biggest obstacles that you encountered that you didn't really anticipate when you were 20, 21, 22, when you were a young kid? How hard it would be, how hard you have to work. I mean, like, the thing is, like, you know, I remember thinking things like, oh, you know, I can do like an art film and then, you know, I'll do like a big Hollywood movie to pay for like, you know, maybe my next art film and stuff. And I don't, you don't realize sort of that age of how passionate people are about each of those segments, you know, whatever you're talking about, like if it's a huge blockbuster movie, there are people that are, you know, James Cameron is so extremely focused and passionate that you can't be sort of like this, halfway like, oh, I'll just kind of do this so I can support something else. You have to do it because you absolutely love it and you can't do anything else. Um, and, and that, you know, that's sort of a, a discovery that I made of like how important it is to, it's just like, you know, being in football, you know, you, if you're just kind of half-assed, there's other people that'll pass you by out of pure passion. Um, so you have to be absolutely passionate about this. This is what you want. 
um, I think to really be successful. I'm, I'm sure there's people that make it on talent, you know, uh, alone because they're that talented. But I think for 99.9%, it's it's a passion-based job and you have to be completely committed and passionate about making it. You've been listening to Ryan Sage. Ryan is the director of the award-winning romantic comedy, A Big Love Story. You can find out more information on the film at abigglovestory.com and on Twitter at abigglovestorydv. Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Thank you. 